trapped, can't escape. I, I want to run, but I don't want to move. I see other people and would kill to have their lives. Just please put me in someone else's shoes. I don't want my life. Everything I have, I hate. The people around me, the things I do, the place I'm at, I just don't want to do it anymore. When people talk about God, I cringe because I just know he's not real. All the stupid nursery rhymes and songs about Jesus are there just to make people feel safe. I don't want to hear any more songs on the radio or see any more commercials. I don't want to hear about addiction hotlines or churches. If God cared, or if he was even real, wouldn't he have done something by now? These are Ben's words, and this is Ben's story. He describes himself as a larger kid, always the flabbiest in the crowd. This developed into body images for him in high school. It developed then into social anxiety, so bad that he completely secluded himself. And after a long bout with sickness, Ben became obsessed with working out and dieting. And the body image issues turned into idolatry of being bigger, being stronger. And when he thought the anxiety would decrease in those things, it only increased. Ben spiraled. He dropped out of school. And he began to plan his death. Then came some miraculous changes. This is what he recalls. He moved. His family moved. And he says, I was excited about a new start. That was a miracle. We started going to church, and I went with them. That was a miracle. And Ben found himself on a youth retreat, sharing about his struggles. And he says this, I discovered that verbalizing my issues changed everything. That was a miracle. Ben had an encounter with God. And he later said, the lowest points of my life are ironically the points that I am most grateful for. Can you resonate with that story? Resonate with those words? I do know that there are people here who understand Ben's story. I don't know what the issues are for you, but you know, listen, what it is to feel trapped. Maybe some of you still are. In fact, there may be a few of you that were dragged here this morning, and behind those Easter smiles, right, you're feeling a bit trapped where you're sitting, maybe even saying to yourself, if God really cared or if he was even real, wouldn't he have done something by now? Oftentimes, when we think of the tomb at Easter, we think of it as observers from the outside in. We are often encouraged to go, as Matthew encouraged us today, with the women to the tomb to find it empty, to run with Peter and John and find Jesus raised from the dead. But I want to take a different perspective this Easter. I'd like you to step into the tomb. To step into the tomb with Jesus where it's 
dark, where it's filled with death, where maybe some of you might feel even a bit trapped. It is the place that guilt has pinned us down in shame. It is the place that circumstances seem overwhelming. It is the place that hope seems empty. It is the place that life feels dark. It is the place that you feel trapped. Quite honestly, it is a place that sin has you secluded. And it's the place that you wait for your miracle. With me? It's dark. It's dreary. It's hopeless. I want you to listen as the stone is rolled across the entrance to the tomb. Boom! Settled into place. And you are trapped. Except that you are entombed with Jesus. And can I tell you good news? Nothing. Absolutely nothing can hold Jesus back. Not even death. So listen. Watch. The stone is moving again. Light is flooding the tomb. And everything dead is coming to life. And this Easter, we are not going to simply discover an empty tomb. We're going to experience an open tomb. The question for this morning is, what will you do with the empty tomb? What will you do with the open tomb? Believe it or not, we can find some help to that question in Revelation 7. Wow. Did you know we were going there this morning? Well, if you've been with us, you probably do, because we've been in a small mini-series this Easter looking at some passages from Revelation that shed light on Easter as well as our daily lives. It is entitled, God is Making All Things New. And the short line in this is that we live in between the time of Jesus and the return of Jesus, and that we can get all kinds of good stuff there that helps us live with the confidence in Jesus. Get that? That Jesus, we we celebrate a past story, the reality of Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. We look forward to the reality of Jesus' return, and we live in this glorious day where he can teach us from both ends the reality of what it is to live confidently with him. And so we continue that this morning. That is our goal. Uh, You've heard it over and over again. You all have it figured out. Those of you that have been with us, Keller has said that from a holy God, 
we sit on the throne, or, uh, that we may not just get, listen, Keller says that we might not just get hope for the future, but we might get help from the future, right? From a holy God who sits on his throne and says, I am making all things new. And that is our goal again this morning. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. If you have your Bible, there are Bibles in the pew on your electronic devices. It is a great text that we uh, dive into. And there is much here, more than we will discover this morning. But let's get the highlights that help us know what to do with the open grave. Revelation chapter 7, starting at verse 9. John is having a vision of these end times, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know... (laughs) And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God help us in the understanding of his word. This morning, I want us to stand inside the tomb and peer out an opening in which the stone has been rolled away and see that out of the fear of the tomb, we can see peace. That out of the uncertainty of the tomb, we can see certainty. And out of the death of the tomb, we can see peace life. First, out of the fear of the tomb, we see peace. Look at the first two words of this text. It says, after this, all of you great Bible theologians, right, should ask a very important question at this moment. After what? Right? When you read after this, you should ask, after what? Well, I'll tell you, if you were here on Good Friday, we saw the remarkable picture of God of Revelation 5 holding a substantial scroll with seven seals, and everyone is looking for someone to open the scroll, or the lamb that was slain, hint, Jesus, took that scroll, and the this of the after this is him opening six of those seals. And those six seals are all seals of judgment. To read chapter 6 is pretty dark. To read chapter 6 is pretty hard because God is handing out judgment on sin and it is pretty chaotic, even to the point that those being judged are calling for the rocks to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of God. Let's just say it's scary, that it's chaotic, 
And you might get this. <laughs> because for you, sometimes life feels like that. But what we read in this text happens when? After that. Better stated even, in the midst of that. In the midst of the judgment is this glorious picture of peace. And here's what I would say regarding our lives in the open tomb. There will be a day and seasons that are chaotic, maybe even painful, maybe even as a result of our sin, but certainly as a result of sin. And the grave itself is a sign of judgment. It is a place of chaos. But what we see through the open grave is something very different. We see peace. From fear in Revelation 6.17 that the judged cry out, who can stand? To what? A great listen, a great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, waving palm branches, and having a party with the angels, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures. Listen, not fearful of God and his judgment, but worshiping God and his goodness. And look ahead in this text to the very interesting conversation between John, who is seeing the vision and writing it, and an elder who is in heaven. It's a crazy conversation. The elder comes to John, who's just having the vision, and he says, who are these? These dressed in white robes. Who are these? And John, I think pretty wisely, looks at him and is like, shouldn't you know? Like, you're one of the heavenly ones. Like, you're one of the elders, right? You, you like, should know who this is. I'm not sure if John knew or not, but the reality is he, he truly expected that the one who was asking who they are would know. And so, indeed, the one who is asking says, they are indeed saints. They are dressed in robes of white because they are pure. He says these are the ones that are coming out of the tribulation. Now, be careful. Some of you people like to get your undies all in a bunch about tribulation, how long it was. It was a thousand-year reign. It was this, it was that, and this, and that, and this. That's a great discussion. It's a great discovery, not for Easter Sunday. So can, can, can I help you not think of the tribulation as an event, but as a reality? That in your life there has been tribulation, there has been struggle, there has been hardship. And what does the elder say? That these are the ones who are coming out of that, dressed in white. But how do they come to this place of peace? Well, keep reading. They've washed those robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And again, if you're like new to this stuff, that sounds ridiculous. How in the world would you wash something in blood and it turn out white? Well, the reality of the scriptures is this that we know. This is not just any blood. This is the blood of the Lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. 
It is the blood of Christ that indeed makes us pure, that makes us whole. It has delivered us from the fear of all things, mainly from the fear of death. It's like the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, that says this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, get this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How do we come out of the tribulation? How do we come out of the suffering with joy, with rejoicing? It's because we know that indeed Christ has made a way that we shall not fear, but that we might have peace. People of God, we need not cower in the corner of the grave. Get up, look out, and from the chaos of life that has you fearful, look through the open tomb and see peace. Out of the fear of the tomb, we see peace. Out of the uncertainty of the tomb, we see certainty. Man, uncertainty. If you don't know fear, you know uncertainty, unless you've just skipped 2020. I mean, it's become an all-too-familiar feeling in this last year, has it not? We've lived through and continue to wrestle with a significant virus, and with it, a thousand, that's a conservative estimation of opinions as to what it is and what we need to do. Listen, if anything has been certain in this last year, is that no one is certain. Add to that an election cycle, riots, a culture that seems to love polarizing movements that cause us only to be more uncertain about our future. And that's not even mentioning all the stuff that many of you have been through personally over the last 12 months. Uncertainty. We've, we've gotten PhDs in uncertainty. But uncertainty comes where there is no hope. That's why I take you to the tomb this morning to peer from the tomb of uncertainty and see what we see in Revelation 7. Hear what we hear in Revelation 7. The multitude, as they wave their palms, listen, no longer cry, Hosanna. Remember a week ago? We all marched around here with palms. We're saying Hosanna, right? Remembering a day in which the people cried out, Save us. Save us. There's uncertainty. We're stuck. We're trapped. Save us. That is not the picture of Revelation 7. They wave their palms and sing a completely different song. They wave their palms and say, Salvation belongs to the Lord. No uncertainty. But absolute certainty of who has made the way for us. Not please save us, but God praise you, you have saved us. And here they, they, they don't sing, I'm so glad I decided to follow Jesus. Aren't I good thinking about me following Jesus? You know, Jesus is okay, but I'm better because I follow Jesus. That's not the song they sing. 
The heavenly song is not about them. The heavenly song is that salvation belongs to the Lord. And then this ramble, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might and whatever else you can think of, be to our God forever and ever. The eternal perspective of how we are saved has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with God. Why is that important? Because, listen, I make decisions every day that I'm uncertain of. And if it was up to my decision of whether I'm saved or not, I would be a hot mess. Am I saved today? Oh, no. I think I was saved yesterday. If it was up to me making that decision, I would be anxious, I would be fearful, and I would be uncertain. It's okay, he's just doing early to the altar call, that's all. Listen, I would be a mess, but listen to the heavenly multitude. It is not about me. It is all about God. And there is no uncertainty in what he has done. My destiny, my eternity, that is in the hands of God, who is a certain God, who is an unchanging God, and who is an eternal God. And here the elders sing a song in verses 15 through 17 regarding the certainty of our God, and therefore the certainty of our lives. He says, therefore, listen to these words, they are before the throne of God. Not maybe. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe, hear that one, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Do you hear the certainty in those statements? Can you hear that as God is a certain place for your salvation, he is a certain place for you even today. This is a place that as we peer into the heavenlies that we can find hope. That not only do we have hope for the future, but we have hope from the future. Again, hear from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly get it, be certainly, there it is, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We need not live in the tomb of uncertainty, but in the newness of life. The certainty that salvation and all of life belongs to the Lord. Out of the uncertainty of the tomb, we find certainty in our resurrection. And then out of death of the tomb, we see life. This is the most obvious, right? It's Easter. In Revelation, those left in their sins cry out for their death in Revelation 6. But those who are cleansed party in their new life in Revelation 7. We are not shrouded in darkness and death. Rather, we wear white robes of life, radiant with the glory of God. Derek Thomas is helpful in this as he had a recent talk um, about a cube of grace in which we live. And he begins to describe, he's a great theologian, great preacher, and, and he says, we live this day, today, 
with knowledge of what Christ has done and what Christ will do in a cube of grace. That means that when you are in that cube of grace and you look up, you see grace. When you see left, you see grace. When you look right, you see grace. When you look behind you, you see grace. When you look down, you see grace. And any time that there is a reality of condemnation or guilt or shame that comes, Derek Thomas says, no, you live in a cube of grace because you live with resurrected life. We are not entombed by our sin. We are free from it. We are not shrouded in death. We are wearing white robes. Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, made us what? Alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he says this, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This, this is what Easter is all about. No longer living in the death of the tomb, but rather the hope of life. Abundant life now and eternal life forever. This is what Ben discovered in the miracles of his life. This is what many of you have discovered in the miracles of your life. But the question still remains, what will we do with this open tomb? There was a song written for what is called the Passion Conference a number of years ago. And it helps us with the answer. It says this, I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb. Till I met you. And that's not you, but Jesus, right? I I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb. Until I met you. You, God, called my name. And here's the answer. And I ran out of the grave! <laughs> See, that was worth it sitting there all that time, wasn't it? Do you hear? When I called you, I'm telling you, when God calls you, you want to see it again, don't you? Yeah. Right out of the grave! Yeah! Out of the darkness and listen into your glorious day. What will we do with the open grave? You gonna sit in the corner and cower in your fear? You gonna sit in the darkness of uncertainty? Are you gonna sit? with the stench of death when there is peace and there is certainty of salvation and there is life to be had outside the grave, the grave that has been 
opened for you, you who have been raised with Christ. Don't sit in that grave. Run out of it and live now as we prepare to live forever in his presence. Remember, remember Ben's words. If God cared, or if he was even real, wouldn't he have done something by now? He has. He has. He's risen Christ from the dead. And he has risen you with him. We are not trapped. So join me. Join me in running out of that grave until that day we stand with every tribe and tongue and give praise to our God. Let's pray.